We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Hello, faithful viewers, and welcome back to the first episode of Series 2 of the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. And um, with apologies to any of our viewers or listeners who have an Amazon Echo device, I just have to start with this Easter egg that I discovered just in the literal last couple of weeks because it's very appropriate to the episode we're discussing, which you can see on screen. So just bear with me. Alexa, you will be assimilated. I have nothing to say to you. And I will resist you with my last ounce of strength. How cool is that? <laughs> I did you hear that? Hear it was it's um it's really weird. Give it a try. Maybe if you're at home listening and you happen to have an Amazon Echo, just ask her, um tell her either you will be assimilated or resistance is futile. She okay. fires back the um, she fires back the Picard quote, um, nothing to say to you, and I will resist you with my last ounce of strength. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so awesome. Well, apologies for that little detour. But uh, as I say, we are back with series two of the podcast, which if you've been keeping up with our social medias and things, you'll know that this particular series, uh, I'm going for an overall theme. And that theme is the Borg and artificial intelligence in general. Uh, and this week, as you can see, uh, quite clearly, we're discussing arguably the most famous Borg episode, Next Generation is the Best of Both Worlds. That'll be the review, which we'll get to eventually. And uh but I, I never do this alone, as I always say on my podcasts. I'm always joined by at least one guest, and uh, I'm very happy to be joined by someone who talks of, uh, about Star Trek quite a lot on a semi-professional basis, I would say. Um, so would you like to introduce yourself, sir? <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you so much. So uh, my name is uh, Christian Fox, and I do talk a lot about Star Trek. Uh, I actually have a podcast called Yelling About Star Trek, which is just a way for me to share all of my thoughts and my feelings on the show without irritating all of my friends and family who are not into Trek. So that's <laughs> kind of my thing. That's fair enough. That's basically why I set up this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's an honest, honestly an honor and a pleasure to have you here uh, discussing Trek on my little podcast as well. So, and uh, couldn't have picked a more famous episode to discuss later anyway. But uh, yeah, 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 I think it is probably maybe the most famous episode of TNG. It probably is, Perhaps. yeah. I've got some sort of facts and figures, and uh, it's amazing how many kind of polls it's won and how many people know it. And even when we get to the audience interaction section, a lot of the responses are just incredible. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. So, uh, yeah. So, um, anyway, if you were a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that we normally start with uh, a little bit of a getting to know you. And uh, that is the section that I call Healing Frequencies Open. Healing Frequencies uh, Open, sir. I will discuss some things with my guests, get to know a little bit of your Star Trek history. Um, apologies if you're repeating anything you've been over on your own kind of podcast or anything like that, but hopefully it won't be too bad for you, for our viewers. Um, and so the very first question then to you is, uh, when did you sort of first encounter Star Trek and what was the first episode that you remember seeing or that you remember thinking, oh, this is something I want to, to watch more of. This is great. Yeah, so this is interesting. So I think I was maybe a toddler at the time i don't remember the exact episode but my mom uh, was doing her master's degree and i think she had to watch star trek because they were talking about artificial life and i guess debating the ethics so i think she had to watch the measure of a man 
which that okay. wasn't the episode that was on that I remember, but I just remember seeing Worf's head and crying <laughs> because I was terrified of the forehead. Oh, no um, And I guess, I don't know what happened, but from that point forward, I just got so into it. And it, it's one of my, the most embarrassing things I would say about me is the fact that I can't tell you a lot about like Disney classic movies because when I should have been watching those, I was watching Star Trek. So when I should have been watching The Little Mermaid, I was watching The Wrath of Khan. Um, <laughs> so it started from that. a very young age and just was just in love with it. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, well, that's cool. That's good to know. So you, your first exposure was kind of being afraid of uh, Mr. Wolf's Klingon makeup. And yeah. then from there, you just got captivated somehow and it, it hooked you in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, um, what it was exactly that hooked me in, but it was just after that, I got into it and just never stopped. That's so weird, because I think I wonder if anyone else has similar stories, because as I've explained in the past on the podcast, I think the first one I duly sat and watched was, well, it was definitely the original series with my mum, because she was a fan. And I think it may have been the cage, so I was probably quite captivated by the Talosians. But I do remember as a kid being really fascinated by the salt vampire creature from the man trap. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though looking back, it's pretty shoddy as an effect now, I guess, maybe by today's standards. But as a kid, I was like, wow, this is a crazy alien creature. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. looks, it's still a little bit creepy to me, even though it's, yeah. you know, it's fake. It's still, it has that, oof, yeah, that, that's definitely an alien creature. Yeah, Bye. I think it's because of the way that it sucks the salt as well as having those suckers and things is quite a, it's it's an eerie concept, whoever came up with it, the sort of sci-fi idea behind it. And uh, ooh, it, it, it sends a shiver down the spine for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cool, cool. Um, so this is, this is usually a difficult question, which is why I never actually let my guests know about it in advance. So apologies. Um, sure, if you had to, no problem. If you had to, uh, sorry about this. If you had to put um, sort of gun to your head, pick three episodes or movies from the franchise that you think uh, represent the best of Star Trek or that you would use to introduce a newbie to the Trek franchise, which three would be your choice? Okay, so movies is a, are a bit easier. I can do two right off the bat for movies. I would say Voyage Home for me is it's I'm going to be honest. It's my all time favorite movie. And I know that's strange when there's like Wrath of Khan, but I think Voyage Home is a fantastic representation of all of the wonderful things about Trek. You have a positive environmental message, which is social commentary, which um, Trek excels at. You have humor which I think is maybe a little bit underrated with Trek, but I think is really core to the franchise. And then you have a crazy, wacky, what the heck is going on sci-fi element to it. Um, so yeah. I'd say that for the original series, then for TNG, I would say First Contact, oh, yes. it's a great horror movie and, so I yeah. and a good action movie. So I think you get a lot of non-fans into it by watching it. They can get some enjoyment out of it. And I think it does a really good job of explaining what Star Trek is all about because they literally explain how does Star Trek become Star Trek um, with that encounter. And then I guess for an episode, I'd pick Measure of a Man just because, again, that is a great representation of what Star Trek, what is Star Trek about? Well, it's a finding out, seeking out new life forms and understanding that not all life is like what we expect. So by arguing that, hey, Data is actually human and Picard's line of, well, we seek, I can't remember the exact quote now, if you can help me out on this, where it's... Uh, Our yeah. mission is to seek out new life well there. It's, it's, it's pretty much exactly, exactly. So I think So I think that's a good um, uh, representation of what Star Trek really is at the very core of 
of the series or of the franchise rather yeah i've discussed this at length in the past as well but i really think that the subtle way that it gets the message about kind of um, racial kind of disparity and slavery in with the conversation between picard and gynan when yes. he says you know these androids will become generations of disposable people uh and then picard's response of you're talking about slavery and then the black character going oh maybe that's a little harsh i was like is it coming from yeah. a, a person of color that's kind of like you you of all people should probably think hang on a minute you know um it, but that's that goes over so many people's heads that that's basically what that discussion's about so it's yeah so it's so true and then in voyager you sort of get not a continuation of that but the episode where the doctor is trying to prove that he is also a sentient life form so he doesn't have to publish the work yes um, it cuts to all of the emh programs that were no longer on the ships, uh, I think mining dilithium, which is yeah, a pretty horrifying scene wouldn't. when you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. That that's always the way, isn't it? I think Trek, like a lot of sci-fi, as a metaphor, it can be really good, and especially if it does go over the heads of the more conservative or the people that will get a bit up in arms about it. Then sometimes all the better, because you know, <laughs> if you're going to get it past the censors, that's often what you have to do, as I think Gene would have said back in the day. So awesome. Um, yeah, those are some great choices. Weirdly enough, two out of your three things that you mentioned there will be getting discussed this series on the podcast, since they oh, fit awesome. into the theme of uh, the Borg and AI, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I uh, don't think I could fit in the Voyage Home, unfortunately, because, uh, well, yeah. maybe I probably could have counted the Cetacean probe, I guess, but uh, we're not anyway. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's I mean, not really any AI, except, I mean, maybe the probe, but the only AI that yeah. is really notable is the training computer, which I don't think you can say that much about it. <laughs> No, not really. But that is a great scene, point. though. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love that scene when Spock's just rattling off answers to every question and then just gets stopped in his tracks by how do you feel? <laughs> yeah. And I was best. always blown away by the reflection. I don't know how you would describe that screen, but it seems like there's a weird reflection thing going on. And I was always amazed mm. by that. That's probably deliberate when you think, because the whole scene is basically introspection for Spock. And like I say, I just love the fact that his mother's explanation of, well, the machines are where you're half human. So it's taken that yeah. into account and it has to ask you about emotion as well as logic, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's stunned and by say, it. And very absolutely. Confused, yeah. Yeah. But as you say, if somebody was even brand new to Star Trek, that's a perfect summation of Spock's character in one scene right there at the start of a, you know, the fourth movie in a franchise. So Yeah, I think so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it does a pretty good job of summarizing what's already happened in the, yes. in the series. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. And uh, so the final question then, which uh, again, apologies if it's similarly difficult, but uh, if you absolutely had to pick one series overall that you'd said were the best Star Trek series, which one would be your personal favorite? Okay, so can they be separate series? Uh, well, I was meaning sort of overall in terms of, like, you know, Next Gen DS9 Voyager, um, but certainly if you have two that you can't separate, then go for it, yeah. Yeah, because my the best series, I think, is different than my personal favorite series. But oh, it's okay, so fair enough. Okay. Yeah, I so I would say the best series, without a doubt, is DS9, because right. it has the most character development. It deals with all of the great Star Trek stuff that you, you know, you expect, all the cool sci-fi stuff good social analogy, but it seems to be, or social commentary rather, but it's a much deeper show in the sense you're dealing with more complex themes and you're able to really get into those themes because it's not just, oh, let's talk about terrorism and 45 minutes we'll move on to the next episode, but it will be, hey, let's deal with what terrorism is. Let's deal with the difference between terrorism and freedom fighting or freedom fighters. Um, so I think DS9 is the best series 
my personal favorite series is TNG because that's what got me into the show. And I find that the easiest to consume in the sense that, hey, you know what? I'm feeling down. World is going crazy right now. There's a lot of stuff going on. Let me just watch TNG where yeah. something horrible can happen, but then in 45 minutes they'll fix it and everything will be fine. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, that is, I think I've seen sort of Twitter prompts and stuff where people say that's their comfort trek, the next yeah. generation. But I do think um, I would perhaps counter that it's underrated, I think, how how deep the next generation was able to get within the structure of we need to reset everything after 45 minutes, you know. Um, that that is true. And I guess we'll get into this when we talk about the best of both worlds. But I think you're yeah. right. I still find it a little bit like, okay, they wrap things up a little too quickly. And there's not enough like callbacks to things that have happened, but yeah, I don't know. Be trying to decide between DS9 or TNG for me is very difficult because DS9 is just barely like TNG wins barely because DS9 yeah. is so good, and DS9 has also become comfort track for me. Fair enough. Yeah, I think Deep Space Nine is as as again I've said before, it's it's a sort of a it's a fantastic overall kind of novel series almost where you have to read every bit of everything to. Get the most out of it and understand it whereas next gen is a great series of stories maybe would be the way i would put it but uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly the, the thing was at the time of next gen people weren't really doing linked series in the way that you see like everything now is one long story there's no individual episodic you know nature of television but i do think it's weird that we're discussing the best of both worlds today which is arguably like star trek's first attempt at doing a as as long form story, even though it's only three episodes with Best of Both Worlds one and two, and then Family, um, which we're not discussing unfortunately because we just didn't have time. But it's still worth mentioning that episode that follows, which is a very unusual one in that it really literally is just all almost all repercussions of what's happened the prior week. You know? Um, yeah, it's yeah. one of the. I think maybe yeah, you're right. I think it is the first time that's ever happened. I don't think Star Trek has tried long form storytelling up to that point. So yeah, it's interesting to you know, see them even beyond best of both worlds, seeing them trying to do that. I remember reading, I don't remember who it was. Was it um, Ronald D. Moore who really wanted to sneak in the Spock reference when Mm. in the episode meld was that season three or am I mistaken? um, Yeah. The episode Sarek is uh, the one you're thinking of. Meld is a Voyager episode, but yeah, I know. Right. Yes, you're right. But the line about like him yelling at Spock was apparently really hard for them to keep in, and he fought really hard to say, "Well, let's let's call back to the original series because they didn't do that kind of stuff." Yeah, there was a couple of slight references. I think in in the Naked Now, there was like this happened to another ship called Enterprise. Right. In yeah, that's right. But, uh, yeah, they certainly got a lot more confident by the time they were introducing Sarek and then Spock and then Scotty as the series went on. I think, uh, yeah, but they wanted to find their own feet first. I think, which is perhaps understandable. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Cool, cool. Well, it's been nice getting to know those little bits and pieces about you and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'll go on uh, if you don't mind to the next section now, which is the hit or miss section. What about my performance? Yeah, for sure. I'm not a drama. Uh, well, this this week, since we're doing a two parter episode, I'm only going to do five things that I'll fire at you. Um, normally, we would do between sort of seven and ten if we were just doing a single episode, depending on how things went. But as I say, with it being a two parter to discuss, there's quite a lot to get into, especially given what the episode is. Um, I will try and throw in some things that will be on theme in the hit or miss section, but I did kind of want it to still be as random as it used to be in series one. So there'll be things that don't really fit uh, in the theme and uh, it's still just to get people's opinions and get a bit of interest in. So, uh, yeah, with that said, are you ready for me to fire some things and ask if they're a hit or a miss? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. 
Awesome. Uh, so the first thing on uh, my list for this episode then, which does kind of fit the theme, is uh, the character of Soji Asha. Is she a hit or a miss from uh, from Picard, of course? I think she's a hit. Okay, cool. Uh, what did you like about the character then? Um, I liked the... So it's I haven't seen... I've only seen Picard once. I'm a little bit rusty. I liked, for the most part, I liked her, just her storyline, the connection to Data, I loved. Um, I liked her in the episode when they encounter, well, not when they encounter, but when Picard meets up with Troy and Riker. I was just going to say I, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really strong. There was some stuff that I didn't love, like I didn't like her and the Romulan guy all the time. Mm. I can't remember if that which twin that was. But I, her, oh, yeah, I like yeah. the character. I remember liking her a lot, but I don't remember specific reasons that I enjoyed her. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think the character, even though I'm not a huge fan of Picard in terms of yeah. the one season we've had, I think that character is a hit. And the majority of the reason for that is that episode that you mentioned, Nepenthe, um, Nepenthe which is yeah. really, yeah, it's really dealing with kind of her familial connection to Data and her connection, therefore, to his friends through that, but also you know, the nature of she's just been betrayed by this Romulan and she doesn't know what's real and it gives you a chance for some beautiful scenes between right. her and, uh, yes. and Troy as well, you know. Um, so, yeah, that character. And then, of course, the actress, I think, is incredible. Um, oh, yeah, she was Lisa, amazing. Lisa Definitely a highlight of the series because I'm with you. I, I didn't love Picard season one. Yeah. No, I, th I think it's... it's. But then again, a few of the Star Trek series have had weaker first season or twos. Um, so I'm kind of hopeful the second season might turn it completely around. And I don't think... Season one of Picard's a complete write-off. Like I said, I think the actress that plays Soji and that character are actually some of the good things about that series. So, and I thought Troy to like if we talk about great things about Picard. Troy was the best that she's ever been in any yep. series. Yeah, I agree. I love that that one episode. As I say, is um, it's next level, but it's really weird that I, I wasn't vibing with any of the episodes. And then I think it's episode eight, and the Day comes around, and I was like, this is exceptional yeah. it's one of the best episodes of star trek in years yeah in exactly. the middle of the series. Yeah. Didn't like it. yeah yeah i agree 100 percent. yeah well oh, that's awesome that's good to know i've got some support on that one so awesome uh, that's all right that's easy an easy hit for both of us for soji then um number two is very fitting for this week and that is the character of elizabeth shelby oh uh, shelby is fantastic definitely a hit um i i'm trying to remember if i liked her when i originally saw the episode as a kid i but i just yeah i love the fact that she knows what she's doing she mm. is able to call out Riker for some of his stuff mm. and um yeah that's kind of it and i love i love putting i love the fact that she puts Riker in a position where he has to realize i don't like you but let's work together and let's resolve this that's true actually that is a kind of a very mature star trek way of looking at their relationship um that he's able to say that you know we don't have to like each other to work well together and he's able to put that aside and still promote her first officer when he gets yeah. the chance yeah. and there's a great line from Riker that we will get into i guess when we do the episode but yeah i, I love shelby and i just wish there was more of shelby uh also yeah. one thing, and i guess we could again talk more about in the episode but when mm. when Riker says they have the ability to adapt or what he says what is it they have the ability to, to adapt commander. She gives him the dirtiest look, but it's like, I'm with her in that moment. It's like, she knows <laughs> she's aware. Fair enough. I'm, I'm slightly on the other side of things. I would still say the character is a hit, but a little bit yeah. less so than you. And I think it depends on which part of the best of both worlds you're watching. Cause I think in part one, she's kind of 
really unreasonably bitchy and she kind of is a heck of a lot to handle. She is doing stuff that's like, if I was Riker, I would be rolling my eyes like, for God's sake, just go to bed. Stop trying to, you know, take my authority over here. And right. um, yeah, the, the ultimate sort of moment that I didn't really like was in the turbo lift when she's kind of, oh, let me be frank, you're in my way. If you can't make the big decisions and make room for someone who can, and I was like, you're really going to take that, right? <laughs> you know? but, uh, yeah. Well, that's the again, line, the line that I want to talk about is like in that scene, which is a fantastic line. Oh, I know. I think I know the one, and I pro yeah. probably would have agreed with you as well in that case. But again, we might get to that later on. Let's hope. So, yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, but again, in terms of the character of Shelby, the second part she kind of comes into her own as she kind of fits into the role she arguably wanted, and she is able to display that kind of skill and that level of ability. Uh, and then, you know, because they're able to work together and put aside the differences, it works out better. <laughs> But uh, I am curious if you've seen um, or if you've read, I should say, any of the, the Star Trek New Frontier novels that have the character in. Uh, no, I haven't yet. Ah, it's well, worth, uh, I mean, they're well-written uh, books anyway, but yeah, um, very good stuff. Uh, written by Peter David, who's a great sort of uh, Oh, yeah, novel Peter, and, he's uh, a classic with the, with the novels. Yeah, yeah. But um, because that character was kind of so popular off the back of Best of Both Worlds, she's the first officer of the main ship, the Excalibur, in that uh, series. Uh, and it does really good things with that character. It's cool. And uh, obviously we did briefly see her turn up for a cameo in Lower Decks just this season. That's just went so yeah, didn't yeah, get to exactly. do a whole lot. But yeah. <laughs> It's funny. I was about to say, oh, yeah, she was a captain in it. But then I realized, oh, no, I was thinking of um, Hot Chocolate. Why can't I think of her name now? Oh, uh, Sonia Gomez. <laughs> yeah. I think Shelby was a captain as well because she was at one of the captain's retreats on a Starbase. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, a very good character. Like I said, a little bit temperamental at first, but I think that's the point. She's deliberately there to to give Riker the grit that will ultimately motivate him to a decision, really. <laughs> mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so number three, and I'm hoping you've actually watched um, Star Trek Prodigy for this one. <laughs> so number three on the list is the USS Protostar. Would you say it's a hit or a miss? So I've only seen the first episode. I, I that's actually nice. on my list because I finally caught up with uh, with Discovery, which I've been a bit slow with. But right. from the first episode, yeah, I liked Protostar. It looks cool. I, I will be honest. The main thing I liked was the fact that it sounded like Trek. One mm -hmm. of my big complaints with Picard is that the background noise and the ambience didn't have a Trek vibe. Whereas I felt like, oh, yeah. Protostar does. It has the classic sounds. It looks sleek. It looks like it can. Not that it's a continuation of Voyager, but it looks like oh, it's just like Captain Janeway uh, commanding. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It, it does look like it's the same lineage as like the Sovereign, the Intrepid, the Nova class. They're all kind of the, I guess, triangular-esque dark shapes. Yeah. And it's for around, from around that period. It makes a lot of sense. It fits in to that kind of thing. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you like what you saw sweet. in episode one. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to get caught up because I've heard I've, I've seen a little like I've heard a few spoilery things with the most recent episode and I'm very excited I would also say the protostar is a hit um I, since you haven't seen very much further than the pilot I can't really get into a lot of things but there's a particular uh, unique aspect of the protostar shall we say that okay. I was a bit I was a bit skeptical of but that I actually am surprisingly not just fine with but really like <laughs> what they've done with it oh, and I'm, so uh, curious. I'm very excited 
Yeah, it's it's yeah. a cool thing. And plus, talking about the internal systems and stuff, I just love the way that it looks like, you know, a more advanced version of the L cars and the technology looks, as you said, very Starfleet. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, the hologram of Janeway is just so cool because it's it's classic Janeway, you know. So yeah, it's Janeway. It. Janeway, that's the thing that blew me away. It's like Janeway is coming back. Like that's incredible. Number four on the list for today. Uh, is something from Star Trek Lower Decks. Are you all caught up with that one? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I am. Awesome, because I really wanted to chuck this in, and the last time I had a guest at the end of uh, Series 1, I wasn't able to because they hadn't seen Lower Decks. But I really okay. want to know if uh, if you think that the characters of Kim Olu and Matt, the um, whale Starfleet officers from the Cerritos, are a hit or a miss. <laughs> I think they're a hit because they're funny, but they also reveal how do i say it? how do i phrase it but they've they've hinted at the the citation ops in yes. various episodes of trek before so it's really cool to see what that actually means um and i think it does a good job of showing that hey not everybody's human and so yeah. sometimes you'll have aliens that are just so different or a concept that's so different than what we're used to uh so yeah, yeah i'd say a hit for me awesome i agree i absolutely love that again the it's weird because if you'd know me, you'd think I might be like, that's a step too far with ridiculousness. But I really dug it because, like you said, they've mentioned cetacean ops in the past. Yeah. So we know that there's something there. Um, and why why should they not be officers of a kind that are commissioned? Why would they have to just be, you know, passenger whales or whatever? Um, so, yeah, I loved it. And it was hilarious the way it was done because the writers of that show are just perfect at hitting the joke just right, I think, on the right level. So... And uh, ultimately, I just love the fact that there are two beluga whales who currently outrank Harry Kim. <laughs> oh, both lieutenants. <laughs> I didn't even consider that. Yeah, the Harry, the Harry Kim situation. I'm never like not going to be angry about it. So I know, man. But, <laughs> me too. Me yeah. too. <laughs> like even when you look at Nog, who's not even a main character, he gets that's all other thing. But he gets yeah. he finally gets promoted to lieutenant much quicker than Harry. Oh, but yeah. yeah and then so, Harry's uh, done the so much whales as well. or the beluga whales. Yeah, hit. Awesome. Was it was it I, TNG uh, that they mentioned Cetacean Ops? It was. The first time was in an episode we reviewed last series, actually, which was, weirdly enough, yesterday's Enterprise and the alternate weird timeline of the Enterprise right. team. Yes, um, yes. I think it comes up again a couple of times in the main timeline, but, yeah, it was weird because we noticed there was a few background catches because they mentioned Dr. Silar in the background of that episode, and they mentioned calling someone to Cetacean Ops. I was like, it's really weird. That's like background dialogue you'd really struggle to hear. Yeah, well, that's why I like what I love about Lord Dex is they're they're answering questions and they're just or making references to things that were like, oh, they mentioned this twenty years ago. Now we yeah, finally have an answer. Yeah. Well, yeah, as we said, the bringing back like um, Shelby and Sonia Gomez and uh, even showing us the Titan for the first time as a fanboy sort of thrill, yeah. isn't it? So, that so. moment, like I'm a big Riker fan, so Riker coming back to mm. save the day in any series, I'm always happy with. Awesome. So you probably would have uh, been all right with the ending of Picard season one as well. <laughs> I was okay. I was I was excited. My complaint was that well, I had issues with the ships all being the same oh, ship. Yeah, me too. But, yeah. But Riker coming back and doing the classic, there's another starship coming in. I'll never not get excited about it. So <laughs> honestly, they could end. Well, maybe that'd be too too excessive. But I feel like they could end every new Star Trek series with Riker coming in. I'd be excited every time. Absolutely. I was. I was. I remember at the time thinking, is there any way that we can have a Jonathan Frakes appearance in Discovery, even though it would have to be, you know, descendant of Will Riker at this point. It couldn't be the man himself. Um, and I was like, is there a way to do it just so he's appeared? 
to save the day at the end of like every one of the series, but unfortunately, it wasn't. Yeah, uh, it wasn't I to me. that. But the doctor <laughs> might be because I was I was watching because I listened to the Delta Flyers and I was watching um, uh, Living Witness, and it's like there is a mm. way that the, that doctor could come into Discovery. Maybe Absolutely. well, we'll anybody, anybody could, yeah, because um, somebody pointed out today on Twitter that they could easily say that um, the hologram Janeway that we now have in Prodigy could have had a backup drive the same way, and then she could appear in live action in uh, Discovery as well. So That's I mean, true, so, yeah. That's yeah. a good point, so, yeah. Wealth of possibilities. Plus, how cool would it be if a hologram of Janeway saw the Voyager J and the ship named after her and stuff in the future? It would be really cool. So oh, I would <laughs> love know. that. Yeah, I'd love that. I mean, it would be fan service, but it would be really cool. And chance to get Kate Mulgrew kind of acknowledging it in in person as an actress, you know, it would be a really cool touch, I think. But we'll see. Oh, definitely, for sure. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so the last thing on my list for today, then, is another Borg episode, but one that we're not covering in full on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, and that is the Voyager episode, Child's Play. Would you say that's a hit or a miss? Ooh, Child's Play, right. Uh, I would say that's a hit. I don't go back to that one a ton. Oh, sorry, Child's Play, is that the one with Echeb where they're... Trying yes, where they where, put the virus in him or something? Absolutely. That's when they go back to Echep's home world, but they find out right. that his assimilation was basically, it was deliberate because he had a virus that would have stopped the Borg. So his parents had basically sacrificed him as almost like a suicide bomb, I guess, would be the yeah. allegory um, to kind of take out the Borg. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it definitely hit because it really dealt with complex themes. Um, mm -hmm. But it's one that I don't go back to a lot. So maybe I should, should do that, watch that more. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, again, I'm going to say hit, but it's quite a soft hit because it is a little bit almost too dark for my trek, I think, at times. Um, yeah, the very, yeah, yeah. The nature, as I said, of the idea that, you know, what the things it's talking about in allegorical form are, are bad enough, but then when you, you couple that with, you know, would a, a, the idea of parents just sacrificing their child and the person they're supposed to care for, they're just throwing to the wolves, I guess, is very like, ooh, that's that's a lot to take. Plus, I'm, yeah. I'm never a fan of like child endangerment in any anything TV or film, so I'm like, no, I, I'm not feeling this. You know? Yeah, that's, again, that's, the point. And that's also really dark for Voyager, which I'd say Voyager is another show that's a comfort show for me. Yeah, 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 definitely. But it has its, yeah, a couple of episodes that are like, wow, this got surprisingly dark because um, it, it does it well, I think, in some cases where it gets thematically dark like latent image is one of my favorite episodes but i wouldn't put it on if i was feeling miserable because my word that's depressing of an episode. yeah yeah late images, it, it, sorry late image is really really depressing yeah but it's so good i mean it's handled really well and the way it's done is kind of beautiful but again you wouldn't watch it you'd skip ahead one episode and watch bride of chaotica if you just wanted to be cheered up wouldn't you so. <laughs> yeah definitely that's always a good one yeah i love that one as well but uh, yeah so now i'd say child's play soft hit because they didn't, they could have went overboard with the darkness, and they didn't. They still kept it, you know, um, Star Trekian. But I don't love the overall idea, and I am at least happy that at the end it's kind of resolved, and each is able to come into his own and find a new family with Voyager, and it sort of at least wraps up well in that way. Um, plus, we get a cool kind of Borg sphere appearance, which is always good. <laughs> yeah, I guess this is. I don't know how far you want to go before we go into the review, but the thing that bugs me a lot is the fact that. They went out of their way to give each up a happy ending in Voyager, and then they just mm. ruined it in Picard. Yeah, we could we could talk for days about Picard killing off characters in a crappy way because I think Hugh was uh, suffered that treatment as well, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he did. 
that was the one bad part of Nepenthe when it was like, oh, you didn't just kill him off for no reason. Yeah. We brought him back and we killed him off. Yeah, exactly. Plus, I would have at least, at some point, I would have liked an explanation as to how he was able to get rid of all those Borg implants and stuff. Like, he was living with them for months in the time of next gen between Iborg and Descent. Then he appears in Picard, he looks perfectly human. It's like, I yeah, can't explain he this did, yeah, no issue. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's just me being nerdy, I guess, because I'm like, hang on, this doesn't make a this lot is, of sense. Isn't this the show? Like, this is this what we do as nerds? We obsess over these fake details? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know me so well. But uh, Oh, well, that's fair enough. That's uh, That'll probably cover the hit on this section, because I say we've got a lot to discuss with the, um, the main episode. So I will go into the next section then, which is the uh, main episode review, and I'll say to begin analysis. That's fine. Analysis. Uh, and I wanted to start this week, um, again, this is something I haven't done before, but I thought it would be interesting would be to start with a few sort of fast facts and little snippets about the episode, um, because there was a lot when I looked it up that you could say about it. And, you know, I thought it would give you some uh, some colour before we start discussing the actual specifics. Um, so the first thing that's worth noting is that the episode part one of the, the two parts won uh, Emmy Awards for Outstanding Art Direction and Outstanding Sound Editing for a series, uh, which is pretty impressive. Uh, the storyline appeared in TV Guide's 100 Most Memorable Moments in TV History, ranked number 50. It was also ranked number 70 on the 100 Greatest TV Episodes of All Time. Part 1 was ranked 8th on the Top 10 Star Trek Episodes for the magazine celebration of the franchise's 30th anniversary. Uh, there we go. The episode has continued to be widely praised. It was listed as the best in the series by Empire in 2008. In 2016, the Washington Post ranked it the best episode of all Star Trek and said it had the greatest cliffhanger in TV history. The Hollywood Reporter in 2016 ranked it the second greatest episode across all Star Trek series. In 2009, it was ranked number 36 on TV Guide's list. Uh, I'm not sure. I've cut myself off on it. Our list of TV's top 100 episodes of all time. Uh, in 2020, Sci-Fi Wire listed this episode in their guide, Best of Borg Worlds, as one of seven essential Borg-themed episodes to watch as background before Picard. Uh, and in 2020, Screen Rant ranked Best of Both Worlds, the 12th best episode of all Star Trek franchise television episodes up to that time. And in 2021, said it was the best Borg episode based on an IMDb rating of 9.4 out of 10. Uh, in 2019, they had already said the Tata was one of the finest stories in all of science fiction and noted it was a powerful use of the show's cybernetic hive race. Uh, and finally, in 2020, the digital fix determined that this was the best episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. So no pressure, best of both worlds, before we start discussing you there. Um, that's awesome. So uh, before I get into, kind of the, as I said, the nitty gritty of the episode then, I always like to ask uh, a little bit of history from you. So what was, can you remember the first time you watched the best of both worlds? And what was your kind of initial impression, if you can recall? Yeah, I think so. So I think this would have been 96, because I remember before First Contact came out, our local station from Toronto, they were doing this thing called the Borg Fest where they would just like where they just aired all the Borg episodes and I had a tape of all those episodes and I watched it all the time. And I think I fell in love with it right off the bat. I don't remember when I saw it among those episodes or the specific time, but I remember watching it and just falling in love with it. Awesome. Um, that's fair enough. That's cool. Uh, so did you kind of watch it as two parts or was it the feature length presentation at the time? Ooh, so that's what I'm trying to remember because I don't remember. I think it must have been. I watched them in as two separate parts, but one right after the other because I don't remember being 
terribly stressed about the cliffhanger. Like I don't yeah. remember being faced by it. So yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, I feel like it's something I've always known. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah, I've always known that. Yeah. Picard gets assimilated, but that comes back. So yeah. I don't remember my reaction of the first time I watched it. That's fair enough. So yeah, that, that's also one of the things I kind of regret not having experienced because I never, I wasn't around watching episodes when the cliffhanger happened. Um, I wasn't really fully into Trek yet and I was still quite young. Um, I would only have been like eight or nine years old when it went out on TV. Um, so I didn't watch it with the cliffhanger intact. And my first experience with the, the best of both worlds was when I was starting to get into Trek for the first time. It was around, it was around the time of DS9 season five and Voyager season three. Um, that I really got into it and started, you know, really liking it and deciding to collect things for myself. And I remember it was one of a couple of videotapes at the time that I got um, from Star Trek that I bought myself was the feature length version of Best of Both Worlds that was edited together. Um, and it was in a, a kind of gold uh, covered video cassette box because they were re-releasing um, to coincide, I think, with First Contact various sort of two-part episodes as feature-length movie things oh, and it was okay. best of yeah. uh, best of both worlds from next gen we have the warrior from ds9 and caretaker from voyager that got that treatment um but i only bought best of both worlds and absolutely loved it and i will say it's one of those weird things because i can track the evolution of technology just out of how many times i've owned that episode <laughs> because <laughs> i've i've had that sort of um gold platinum edition whatever video cassette then i had another video cassette as part of the borg collection the video box set that was in like a borg cube cardboard thing oh, uh, i had another had oh it was really really good I, <laughs> I don't have it now obviously but yeah it was a borg cube that collapsed and it had four videotapes in with the next gen episodes it was cool um i also had another version as part of the 10 movie length episodes of next gen uh box set that was all the two-parters um so I owned it on video at least three times that I'm aware of. Then when DVDs came out, I also uh, I had it as part of Next Generation Seasons 3 and 4, obviously, on DVD. Uh, and I still have it as part of the Star Trek Borg Fan Collective DVD oh, set. Oh, Fan Collective. I had that too. <laughs> yeah, I still have that on DVD. But I also now have The Best of Both Worlds as part of the Season 3 and 4 Blu-ray Next Gen Collections and the version that I watched, which is the separate Blu-ray release of the episodes edited together into a movie, which is completely redundant because I have them both on the season box sets anyway, but I just love this episode and I was like, it's a little bit different. There's a couple of new features, a new commentary, and it's edited together, so why not? Oh, so it's <laughs> the one with uh, like Picard on the cover? Like the special yeah, yeah. feature? Like it's two a really cool cover, yeah. It's yeah, a great cover because it's cool. got it's locutus on the cover, but then if you open up sort of half of the flap, it takes the bog part off and it's Picard underneath, which is a really cool touch. Um, yeah, I'm a sucker for anything like that, like holographic covers and things. So yeah, yeah I got to go see that in, in at the movie theater, which was really cool when that first oh, came out. Wow. They did like a whole oh. thing, and it was just uh, it was an amazing experience. I loved it. That would have been so cool. I would have loved to see this on the big screen because. I've seen it so many times that I know as I was watching it back for this review, I was mouthing the dialogue and I was like, I, I know this so well. Yeah, <laughs> it's I was doing the, the same thing. <laughs> it's probably the track that I've watched the most because I was just so captivated and so enamored with it. And like, oh, this is, this is bringing me back to the first time I watched it in whatever year it was, whenever Voyager season three aired. So probably 98-ish. I'm trying to think. <laughs> so, cause I think it would have been nine, was it 97? Cause what season three was, did it? Oh, uh, it would have been I remember when Scorpion came out. Yeah, it would have been 97 because that was just around the time that First Contact was coming out on home video. Um, oh, which yeah, was, that could I be think it. it. was 
it was cinematically released in 96 and it came out video 97. Um, so I think that was the time. That was the first time I watched it. So I would have been 15 years old. <laughs> As I sit here now, rapidly approaching my 40th birthday, and I'm still watching it. <laughs> yeah, I think I was five when it came out. So I was born in 91, full disclosure. So I wasn't even born when the when part when one out, yeah. parts came out. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think a lot of people have come to these things later. And uh, discovered, I mean, obviously, I wasn't around for the original series, but I still love huge chunks of it. You know? but, uh, yeah, yeah, I love it all. I'm not going to stop loving it ever. No, no, not at all. We we shouldn't apologize for the things we love. It's awesome. So <laughs> awesome. Uh, right. So I'll get into the the story now then and say that we start um, with um, the beginning, which I really, really love, even though it's really simple because it's a great little ominous start when they go to Jure 4 and uh, mm -hmm. get beamed down and uh, they ask, you know, oh, is this really this place? We're well, right at the center of town and it's just a huge crater. <laughs> it's uh, not there anymore, which, um, you know, it calls back to the previous hints of the Borg in the episode, The Neutral Zone, and then what they'd been revealed to be doing in Q-Who. So it is perhaps an example of the long-form storytelling we were talking about earlier. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's actually yeah, a really cool piece of continuity there. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I do love that there's a little bit of backstory and then... Obviously, we get the credits, and as the guest stars are getting listed, I was like, this is a, a murderous row of great guest stars in this episode, even though there's only like two or three. They're really good, aren't they, when you think? Because I was like, wow, you've got George Murdoch, who played God himself in Star Trek V, who's in here as, uh, oh, as Admiral Hanson. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> but he's, uh, he's fantastic. He's really good in the episode. You've obviously got um, Elizabeth Dennehy, daughter of Brian Dennehy, playing um, Shelby in the episode. And, uh, of course, we've got our usual Colm Meany as O'Brien and Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. So I was like, you know you're in for a great story when it's two sort of first-time guest actors who are fantastic and two regulars who always deliver, you know? So mm -hmm. that's cool. No, uh, sure. And, again, in terms of, like, developing the story, I do like that it goes to great lengths to establish from the off that Starfleet are just not ready for the Borg to be coming because <laughs> it's, uh, it's very unlike Trek to be completely on the back foot and admit it and just be like, heck, we're not ready. We, yeah. We've known they've been coming, but we just don't have a defense against them at this point, you know? And it sounds like it took Shelby quite a while to get everybody like to say, hey, this is a serious problem. This We got to get focused on this. So yeah, you're right. It's one of the first times we're like, hey, we just, we're not ready for it. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love it. And uh, from the start, you obviously get um, Shelby kind of squeezing herself in as the Admiral invites her to Riker's poker game, <laughs> which is kind of, it's the first hint of, ooh, maybe uh, she's she's try, kind of trotting on some toes here. Um, yeah, there's some tension there. Definitely, yeah. Um, one line I didn't like because it's dated horribly is when um, Picard's kind of discussing the relationship between Shelby and Admiral Hansen, right. and he's like, yeah. oh, you, you seem taken with her, and he replies, oh, it's just an old man's fantasies. Oh, yeah, that's that. <laughs> yeah. Right. They yeah. said that does not play well in 2022 not at all i really was like oh i could live without that line really to be honest with you um but yeah it's kind of nice that they immediately start discussing riker's promotion but it kind of sucks that he's not in the room the first time we hear about it <laughs> but yeah it's great it's iconic dialogue isn't it about um this is the third time we've pulled out the captain's chair for riker but he won't sit down <laughs> yeah um, and this starts off with or not starts off, but this is probably one of the things I love Riker to death. He's one of my favorite characters of of this of the franchise. But mm. this whole turning down promotions really bugs me, and it starts here. Or not, yeah, it's not, it does. It continues well, no, it's, here. 
continues. Yeah, that's again another example, perhaps, of long form because you can track the other two times. I forget the second. I know the first time is during the Icarus Factor that he's offered a command and turns it down. I think so. Yeah, the first time. Well, he says, "What is the episode? Um, not Icarus Factor, because that's the second time. But there's the first one with the weapons. Oh, Arsenal, oh, Arsenal Fido, where he yeah, says, oh, he turned down the ship. He turned down uh, command because he wanted to be on the Enterprise.'" Hmm. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, the thing I found interesting about this, I'm not sure if you are aware of this, so apologies if it comes off a bit uh, condescending, but as I was kind of re researching the episode, I discovered that the central kind of Riker idea of the episode stems from the writer, Michael Piller, um, because he was trying to decide whether to stay with the Star Trek writing staff or not. So he was oh, literally yeah. sort of, he was working out his own issues through the character of Riker. And um, he was interviewed at some point before, he sadly passed away now, but he was interviewed about the episode at some point and said, the scene between Riker and Troy in 10 Forward is almost word for word what was going on in his head as he's discussing, you know, well, I'm happy here, but am I too comfortable? But I like it. And should that be a problem? Is that okay? You know, so I just found it fascinating that that's kind of the crux of the episode and it comes from a very personal place, which I always yeah, love to hear about stories. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that is so you, cool. You weren't aware of that previously then? Uh, so I was. I remember reading, but it was more recently. I remember in the last yeah, couple yeah. of years I read that. Definitely, yeah. Um, but I still, and I appreciate where he's coming from as the, like, I, I like the connection, like the personal collection or connection, but I still find it frustrating overall that it's just he keeps turning it down. And then it's mm. like, well, what about people like Shelby who are moving up? So that's, yeah. you know, that kind of bugs me. But I do, I do like the scene that we're talking about quite a bit where he yeah. says, oh, yes, yet. he's been offered. I yeah, I personally think it manages the balancing act well because it's it the comebacks all make absolute sense. Like even when he's discussing it with Picard and says, Picard says, oh, she's a fine ship. And then Riker responds, yeah, but she's not the Enterprise. <laughs> so, I mean, it's the Starship Enterprise. We know what it means as Trek fans. If you were serving on the Enterprise, even as first officer, would you be like, well, I can go and have my own ship, but it's not going to be the Starfleet flagship, the Enterprise, is it? You know? Um, yeah, but, I always feel bad for other captains when you see them. I'm like, well, that's kind of a crappy ship. Like, Yeah, well, I mean... Of the Enterprise. Yeah, just taking Lower Decks as an example, they play it for humor, but it very much is like, I've got this crappy rust bucket ship doing the menial missions whilst, you know, the sovereign class beauties are out there flying, doing all kinds, and we're like, ah, oh, you can pick up our mess. <laughs> you know, but, yeah, yeah, you can do it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it is, the, it is the legendary, like, that is the ship, that is the best ship to be on. So I can see why Riker's saying that, considering yeah. the legacy, but it is... Yeah. Is someone who wants to get promoted, it's it's like Riker. Come on. Yeah, I see. I see what you mean. Absolutely, it would depend on. It would certainly be a, a conversation, and I understand, and I do like that the episode actually does have that conversation. But I also, I'm with you that I like that Riker eventually. You know, it took a long time, but by the time of Nemesis, he was like, "Look, I'm just going to take another ship because I'm never getting this chair." <laughs> so, yeah. And so so there's a thing in like, um, I don't think it's a like it's canon, but like in one of the books, don't they say that hey? I think like Janeway said, we're going to offer this to you, but if you don't take it, we're not going to ever offer you command ever again or something along yeah. those lines. I don't recall. I know that there's something in the back of my head about that he may have been offered Voyager at some point or something. Um, I think so, yeah. I think yeah. he was in the running for Voyager when um, in the episode Death Wish where, they're, where, he's, where he's brought mm -hmm. in by Q as a yeah. witness. Yeah, that's what I think I'm thinking of. But... Um... Yeah, I mean the Titan's a great ship, but I'm still kind of a little bit of me's bitter that he never got to captain an Enterprise, especially when there's an Enterprise F out there with just a random Vulcan dude captaining it. 
I'm like, come on, oh, give yeah, it to Ryan. Yeah, He's earned it. <laughs> yeah, he deserves it. But Titan yeah. looks cool. But yeah, but going back to the episode, great scene. Love it. <laughs> Absolutely sorry about that distraction. Oh, yeah. Okay, but, it's our fault too. I love a good tangent. Absolutely. I'm, I'm terrible for that, especially when I'm talking about things I like, like Trek and stuff. It goes off on a bit, but uh, yeah. But yeah, referring back to the episode, I do love that Shelby wastes absolutely no time in uh, pointing out why she's there. There's no kind of beating around the bush, which I always like in my kind of fiction that uh, she's like, oh, with all due respect, sir, I wanted to prove that I'm the right person for the job. What job? Well, yours, sir. I've heard you were leaving. <laughs> so That's really cool. Yeah, it's like their first conversation, pretty much. And she's like, look, get out of the way. I want your job. Yeah. Um, and the fact that that feeds directly into the next scene of them playing poker, where she literally calls his bluff and wins. I was like, that's that's a perfect little thematic metaphor of what's going on here, isn't it? It's like, look, I'm calling your bluff because you won't take risks. And yeah. you think you're it's it. But... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It also gives you that lovely bit of humor with the fact that Wesley could absolutely have won that hand, but was way too cowardly to go for it because he's yeah. Wesley Crusher. <laughs> yeah, and just that look of him, like just looking down and putting his hand in his uh, head, or his head in his hand. Just like, I, I hear, I feel that. I don't understand. Yeah. Both. Absolutely, that's, that's but West. Maybe that's part of the theme as well, though, in the fact that like he's an ensign, so he's not going to be taking risks at this point. And it's kind of like, if you took the risk, you would have won, but you haven't learned that yet, you know? Um, yeah. yeah maybe so I'm true. reading too much into that. <laughs> but never mind. Um, so, yeah, the next part is basically something that I mentioned earlier, which is the, uh, the the fact that Shelby's a heck of a lot to take when they go in and find out that she's already beamed down. <laughs> and oh, Reich is yeah. asking, like, on whose authority? Well, on hers, you know? It's just ridiculous but i do love the um again i've memorized all the dialogue because i've seen this so many times so i just love the thing about um oh the early bird catches the worm commander and then data's there's no evidence of avian or vermicular life forms on jury four maybe yeah. she erred and then geordie's like that's not what she meant but you're right she yeah. erred <laughs> yeah so okay one thing i want to point out that i find it's really strange about that scene is Riker and geordie walk to the transporter room no one's there and then he's like oh i guess they're late but it's like, oh. well, if they were already there, you would be the one being late. Like, did you just show up at the exact time? Like, didn't you show up a few minutes early? That threw me off a bit. Yeah, it's one of those TV conventions where it's like you couldn't really have them arriving and chit-chat to O'Brien for five minutes and then go, well, I guess they'll right. leave. Good point. You can't have <laughs> – yeah, especially not on that show. I think DS9, you could have gotten away with it. Yeah, maybe. But, but you're right. Yeah, for the scene, it just seemed a little bit like you can't walk in on the exact time and then say, "Oh, no one's here; they're late." Well, you would no, have been I late mean, if they'd been there. That is a yeah. yeah, great moment of just showing you. Okay, wow. Not only is she gunning for his job, but she is just like, "Oh, I'm going to do things my way." Hmm. I like it, and I love that this is where things get really serious because. She she says the line, you know, there's no doubt anymore. It is the Borg. And then the right. music gets fantastic. I absolutely love the kind of, I guess, orchestral is how I would describe it, the kind of musical score for the episode. Uh, yeah, it's very so orchestral, like much more orchestral than I think what we've seen at that point. And then even yeah. probably beyond that. Absolutely. Um, there's a, a an episode of Family Guy I wanted to shout out here because it parodies this uh, Best of yeah. Both Worlds Part 1 brilliantly. Right. Um, I think it's called Stewie Kills Lois, the 100th episode of Family Guy. I think so. Um, it's the courtroom one, right? Yeah. Um, but there's a line about halfway through that episode where they use the line, there's no doubt anymore, it is such and such. And then the same music plays, but it's not exactly the same because they couldn't get the rights, but it's the same composer, so he did a similar thing. Uh, and at the end of the episode when Stewie thinks he's killed Lois, it does the whole... 
to be continued in the next generation. Oh, so know about uh, oh there's no doubt there is it is the borg so i didn't know about that part but it's, yeah it's that's not really it's obviously not a Borg reference but yeah it's it's cool yeah. <laughs> awesome um but yeah i do love that things are getting serious because i like to think oh stakes are happening you know um I, obviously i've mentioned the next scene so we can kind of go past that unless there's something you wanted to, to mention about picard and Riker discussing the promotion which as i said is at least good because i think Riker's comeback isn't ridiculous of like well it's not the enterprise so um and I think Picard is very, he's way too brash, I would argue, again here with Riker when he says, you're ready to work without a net and don't worry, Enterprise will get along fine without you. I was like, that's yeah. a bit unnecessary. That <laughs> line always threw me off. As a kid, I was like, whoa, like, what does that mean? Does Riker, does, does Picard hate Riker now? Like, this, yeah. why is he being so mean? And now being older, yeah. I'm like, oh, I get what he's saying. It's like. Yeah, 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 it's the way he's saying it that's problematic. But what he's trying to say is like, you know, you're, you're invaluable, but we can still survive without you. Don't feel guilty, kind of thing. But yeah, it's delivered yeah, in exactly. such a way it that just, it's very much like. <laughs> but it's like as a kid, I'm like, whoa, that's devastating. Like Picard has never been that harsh to Riker before. Exactly. Yeah, the way it said is very much like you don't do anything, so we can survive without you. <laughs> but, uh, I go along just fine without you. It's like, whoa, all right. Yeah, it's a weird line for sure, but. Uh, Again, we we at least uh, get a little bit more sort of moments between them later that are a bit nicer. So, and we get to the key scene I mentioned earlier, which is uh, Troy and Riker in ten forward discussing things. Um, again, it's a nice bit of kind of continuity, long form callback that he mentions that you know he fought really hard to get this job and he sacrificed things and gestures towards Troy herself, uh, which again meaningless if you didn't know their history. But as somebody yeah. who was following from the beginning, it's like yeah, that's a good point, man. You you sacrificed your relationship and everything. So yeah. I find it strange that Troy is so com like she's so um I guess nice in the scene like not that she's a mean person but I would mm. I would have a really tough time if I was dating someone they're like well I broke up with you because I want to pursue my career and then they're like hey should I do this really big thing that I sacrificed my relationship with you for uh you know what I'm not going to do it <laughs> I I hear what you're saying but I think it works for those characters because at this point they have seemingly moved on from that whole thing and they're both professionals but they also both have that connection so troy is the yeah. one that's able to she's able to say look you as long as i've known you you've always been like this and you know it's uh i don't think you really mean what you're saying you're just justifying things in your own head and ultimately it's about what do you want and before that even the big discussion about you're you're not losing anything you're just uh getting older you know you're more mature a little bit more seasoned and him like acting hurt that she says that but i was i've been trying to figure out for years why is that an insulting thing was he just being funny or is that like something you do not say to someone that you're more seasoned no now? i think that's that's why i like that scene is that his response of like um jokingly oh i'm so hurt by that because he's reading it as like she's saying you're getting old, basically. It makes it sound like, is this something that we, as men, we should all be upset by? It's just, I think he's reading into it because you could easily read into, you know, oh, you're a lot more seasoned as kind of like, what are you trying to say? That I've I've lived a lot of experiences and I'm looking rough, you know what I mean? But, uh, I was just thinking, well, I like seasoned food, so what's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, but it's good because, yeah, like I said, it's... Cool. it's, I like it's it. It's very much those characters, and it is. It does take Troy, I think, to cut through the BS that he's going with on there. And uh, again, in terms of the writer writing the episode, it's nice that he could work it out with those two characters, you know. Um, but yeah, again, yeah, it's, but it's, I love that scene. 
pure Trek that it stops to give us a scene like this in what should be like, it could have easily been just pure action and, you know, horror and tension, but it actually takes the time to give you a cool character scene, which I always like to shout out because they're just cool, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I love. Like, I mean, I love action scenes, but I watch Star Trek because I like the character moments. I like to see, because I say, yeah, it's cool to see people doing cool things, but it only really is interesting if you know who these characters are. So when you get a scene between two characters talking about or working through a problem that they're dealing with is, you know, really, really great. I always love that. Absolutely. Completely. And just uh, speaking of that, then just briefly to get this out of the way, they go, you do immediately go back to engineering as they discuss the Borg. And then, as I said, they're kind of continuing this idea that like, we're just basically screwed. Like the Borg are too powerful. No matter what you do, it can still function even with 78% damage. (laughs) And again, this is where I kind of lapse slightly onto Shelby's side because she's kind of like, we should start to think about this. And Riker's like, no, we should get some rest. I don't want the crew fighting the Borg while they're fighting their own fatigue. And part of me is like, yeah, but you have no solution, dude. (laughs) At some point you have to be like, yeah, we're screwed. So maybe we should just, you know, sacrifice some sleep and try and come up with any kind of defense here at this point yeah especially when she's when he she says you know data doesn't sleep or doesn't yes, require exactly. rest. i'm not but tired just, i can do this yeah not just that like i wouldn't have a very restful night's sleep if i was like well we don't have any solution to this but eh, maybe tomorrow i'll just have a restful night worrying that the ball could just attack at any time and we're buggered here <laughs> very hey, weird about the scene did you those the background people were they engineering officers the they back- were, but they were in the old, uh, the old uniform still, because it was only uh, season three, wasn't it? So, yeah. because the way they were standing behind Riker made it seem like they were security, and I'm like, why did Riker bring security? But if they're just engineering, yeah, they it makes sense. But why? Are they I, I always assumed, yeah. I assumed they were engineering, but you are right; they do stand like security guards, which is kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, very odd. Unless they were expecting the Borg to just beam in then and there or something. I don't know. I hope if they were security, I hope that's the reason because it makes it makes Riker seem like oh you know Shelby's being a little bit rough. Let's bring my security. <laughs> I don't think that was. I think they're supposed to be engineering, but it's just the way the extras were stood was they didn't really know what they were doing, and they probably had been told don't touch the consoles because they're not yeah, live right. or whatever. <laughs> so, but yeah, I know what you say though. It did look very seems a little bit odd. Yeah. I do, uh, I do love the next scene, which is your. Uh, we get the uh, Admiral Hansen call where he describes the first encounter. The USS Lolo has encountered a vessel described as cube-shaped, which, again, if you're a fan of the show and you'd watch Q Hu, that's your immediate kind of goosebumps moment of like, oh, crap. Oh, um, back. Here. And the fact that the distress call ended abruptly, but the nearest help is six days away, uh, unless the Enterprise can keep them occupied. And again, I'm like, wow, so they got no defense but the admiral's just basically well you're our only hope so do your best <laughs> it's cool but yeah at least they do sort of mention go to battle stations and we've got some ideas to modulate the shields and retune the phases but then again just to reinforce Jordy's response to this is just it's a shot in the dark but it's the best we can do <laughs> yeah like, yep, definitely. we'll give it a shot but yeah, we don't know if this is gonna work absolutely um yeah and then again a little uh, brief moment of picard pacing the bridge which i think adds to the tension even though it's a little subtle moment um but then yeah we get the something's coming in there's no response from heels and then the beautiful line coupled with the music notify starfleet command we have engaged the borg oh, <laughs> cool like that the sound cue there is fantastic i also love wharf's line where he says um Oh yeah, we the, the ship is there, and it's like, oh no, it's it's moving to intercept us, and it's like, oh wow, yes, yeah, 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 that's absolutely creepy when you think about, oh wow, that's like a big moment that oh they're absolutely. coming, they're coming for us right now. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It only gets creepier because immediately the next line is just, sir, you are being healed. I'm you. being healed. Yes, sir, you by name. It's like, yeah. oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the music. So, so phenomenal in that. It's great. Yeah, the music, absolutely. But then the idea... I mean, the fact that we know the Borg aren't interested at this point in people as such or anything, and we're stealing for a fight, and then they're just like, we want to talk directly to specifically Picard. It puts you on edge, or it did with me the first time I watched it. I was like, why just him? That's really kind of, ooh. <laughs> it's something creepy about it, but uh, yeah. Um, they obviously heal and mention, you know, surrender yourself or we'll destroy your ship. And we get lip service to the fact that, uh, as they say, their priorities appear to have changed. Because they do say, oh, they, they weren't interested in us last time. They only wanted our technology. So at least they are addressing the fact that there's a slight discontinuity there. But again, we can forgive it, I guess. It only really yeah, got... It's hard, but it's... Yeah, it's. I'm glad that they at least acknowledge it, as you said. They give it lip service. We can acknowledge. They've acknowledged that there's a change. Let's just move on. But it is. it can be a little bit frustrating. It works fine within Next Gen, but of course it really falls apart when you get to the moments from Voyager and stuff when you're like, they'd already assimilated the Hansons and encountered the Raven and they knew who the Federation were and they'd already started assimilation and everything. And it's like, right. this doesn't really jive all that well, does it? But, I spent yeah. a lot of sleep this night trying to figure out the timelines and trying to figure out in my own head, how to, like, trying to get my own canon so I can be like, all right, this does fit, even though <laughs> we know what the Borg were like in this in this time period or in this era. Yeah, I guess you could head kind of it as just like they'd assimilated two humans by that point. Three, sorry, because there was Annika as well, the little girl. So they assimilated three humans, but at this point they might have been like, well, the humans are pretty weak because they do even mention that in an episode of Voyager. They're kind of unremarkable um, in terms of, you know, physical and mental capacity. Um, so they kind of already knew they didn't really want to assimilate humans. But given that they'd only previously assimilated a kind of Federation shuttle almost in the Raven, when they saw a Galaxy-class starship, they would have been like, ooh, this technology's cool. We don't give a crap about the inferior people on board, but, you know, <laughs> we can maybe... Yeah. So that sort of justifies it, I guess, in that way, that then they kind of went over, scanned the technology, and then they're like, ooh, these people are maybe worth actually uh, assimilating. Maybe this Picard guy, who's a good leader, you know? So that kind of brings it back into line that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> Again, not mentioning yeah, Enterprise true. when things become a full uh, predestination paradox, which then that's a whole other mess of crap to get uh, into. I love but, it. That is a whole other thing where you got to wrap your head around. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic the way that it works, and it kind of, it does work in that regard, other than why didn't they assimilate? But okay, yeah, we'll forgive you. Um, awesome. Uh, let me see, where were we? Yeah, that's <laughs> what you said, which is the line, uh, they have the ability to analyze and adapt, Commander. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it just being uh, sarky towards uh, towards Shelby. Um, you know, the Enterprise trying its best, but failing. It fires. There's no impact. The ball cutting beam that we'd seen in Q who comes up cuts into the hull again. <laughs> we get the, and I mentioned this in yesterday's Enterprise that I was good. We didn't get one of these because I always like when we have, when they happen, the Geordie Indiana Jones roll under the closing engineering door. Yeah. <laughs> so, one thing I love is that I think the actor, I think he fought, um for like doing like the super how do i even phrase it but like in generations when he waits for the last second to do it i think mm. he fought for that because he wanted like because he wasn't happy with gener or this one where it's like he did it too quickly yeah well he would he is kind of in charge down there so i guess his thought would be he wouldn't just abandon his post that quickly and easily so yeah mm -hmm. it is good though that <laughs> I, again this I always thought it sounded really cool and heroic, but then when you actually break it down, you realize how kind of pathetic it is that the Enterprise is just like, rotate the phaser frequencies, fire, 
okay, the tractor beam's now away from us. Let's just run at this point because we've got nothing else we can do. So it's like, yes, that worked. Right, go. Just get out of here. Yeah, we're not going to win. <laughs> uh, and that's when they obviously start hiding in the uh, the nebula that was a reuse of the Mutara from Wrath of Khan um, yeah. kind of effects. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love seeing the nebula again. And it's just so yeah. comforting. Like it, This was a show that, or an episode that I would... And I actually do this even now where it's on Netflix and I'll just put this on at night and fall asleep. Cool. <laughs> and like I'm, it's comforting. I love the I love the color. I love the music, the sound effects. Yeah. It's yeah. They, they, they have videos of like the ambient noise, which is what this scene basically is because everything's like powered down as they're kind of hiding is perhaps the wrong word. Cause it sounds cowardly, but I do like they address the fact that it's not cowardly because they say that the Borg are scanning for them and Picard's response of just, well, that's good because if they're looking for us, they won't hurt anyone else. At least gives mm -hmm. them a chance to point it out as selfless rather than just, oh, we're just hiding because we don't want them to find us. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I never really thought of that. I just, I, I don't think it's like bad that they're hiding. It's just, hey, we need some time to figure out what, what to do. Absolutely, yeah. And it does give you the chance to get that cool scene where Picard, as he said, is touring the ship and he can discuss it with Guinan, which again is probably, it might actually be my favourite scene in the episode uh, when they're talking and because again we know the backstory of the Borg and her species, the Elorians, and you know it's when he he's kind of like, oh, I, before a hopeless battle I thought, and no, it, it caught, Nelson toured the victory before Trafalgar but he didn't return from there and then Picard debating is this the end of humanity and uh, you know, Guinan saying, no, I, I speak from experience when I tell you, you know, as long as there's a handful of you to keep the spirit alive, you'll prevail, which again is supposed to be comforting. But at the same time, it's like, oof, are we already talking oh, yeah. about like, as long as there's the last survivors of your species? Um, yeah. But I do love how the scene ends because it's when the Borg start firing like pulses or charges or something. Um, and as the first one hits the Enterprise, there's a look in Whoopi Goldberg's face that speaks absolute like hundreds of lines of dialogue of just pure fear. But like, I want to stay stoic and strong for Picard because he's going through this, but I'm shitting myself right now because I know what the Borg can do. <laughs> you know, um, And it's all in just one look, kind of uh, at the, directly at camera of like, what's happening? Um, so yeah, I think that that sells that kind of, oh, things are, things are really heating up really well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I love the sound. If we're going to the next team, I love the sound of the charges that, that, that yes. they make. Magnetometric charges is what they called, whatever oh, that yeah, means. Magnetometric. I always wonder. I wondered how many times Jonathan Frakes had like messed up that line because I've tried. I try <laughs> to quote that, and it's very difficult. Yeah, it's just typical. I think when you get hired for a Star Trek show, there should be a course or something in techno babble, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, I will try to read techno babble on my show, and it's it is hard, even though I've seen the episode millions of times. But it, it's very difficult. So I'm always yeah. impressed. Magnetometric. Yeah, I was impressed. You. Yeah. Charges, perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so again, because we've kind of, at this point, we're taking stock, but we're aware that we're going to fight the bug, so they discuss the idea. And I do like that it's planted here, like the kind of Chekhov's gun idea, that they can use the deflector because it has a frequency that will weaken the cube, but it will blow out, like, half of the drive section or something to do it. But, yeah, you know, at least they can do that. Um, and then they discuss, you know, we can separate the saucer to give them more than one target, uh, which is both a cool idea that is comes back later in a really cool way, but it also gives you the chance that Shelby goes over Riker's head to speak to Picard. And, oh, boy, he is not happy with that, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, when you get... Um, it, it's weird because he kind of first talks to Geordi and says she's a handful, but I'm convinced she can help us, which is like, oh, he's reluctantly admitting it. But then 
we we have to talk about, as we mentioned earlier, that scene in the turbo lift when he then goes to speak to Shelby. Um, oh, yeah. I, I'll give you the chance to say, because I, I know, I think I know what line you're talking about and which line is yeah, it you wanted to mention. That's right. It's uh, if you ever do a run around, an end run around again, I will what I will strap you so hard you'll think you're a first-year cadet again. Is that... <laughs> That's I'm more or less good. exactly right, yeah. It's, I will snap yeah. you back so hard you'll think you're a first year. Oh, <laughs> snap you Right, yes. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I'm in I love, love with that, that line. And, I, and I'll tell you, I am st I'm still hoping that one day before I retire, which will be a very long time from now, that I will at least have one chance to use this line on an employee. Yeah. Someone, <laughs> you know, say that completely seriously to how they'd be like, oh, wow, that's really that's really me. Absolutely, but it's it's again it speaks to the character that Shelby is not like any of us would be so cut down by that. And her response is just like permission to speak freely, and then him sarcastically saying, "Always," and her saying, "You're in my way, sir. If you can't make the big decisions." And I was like, "What? How is she standing up for herself?" I mean, I'm both admiring this and also thinking, "What a bitch!" <laughs> but, I never thought that about it. It's just more like, "Wow, that's." I mean, she's saying she's saying the right thing, but it's yeah, I, it's impressive that she doesn't you know, get defeated by that. I'd be like, all right, you won. I'm sorry, sir. Never again. Let me yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. Because she did do wrong. I mean, that's the weird thing. She acts so kind of like, how dare you? But she did do exactly what he said. It went over his head and it's not cool, you know? <laughs> and it's something, it's funny. It's like now even in like it, working, I worry about that. I'm like, hey, I, you know, I should talk to my manager first, then they'll bring it to the ED. Because I'm like, I don't want to make, a, I don't want to pull a Shelby and yeah, go over something exactly. dead. No, I mean, you'd be you'd be aware, wouldn't you? I mean, <laughs> it just, it would feel bad doing it. I think the moment you were talking to Picard in that circumstance, I'd be like, ooh, this doesn't feel good. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I've always been surprised that Picard never said anything like, hey, you know, if it, I appreciate you bringing this to my attention. This is a great plan, but next time bring this to Riker because he is your superior. And then I he'll bring that, it to me. Yeah, the closest you get to that and the, the concession to that in the writing is that he says to Riker, yes, I entirely agree with you. Meaning, even though she's went over your head and come to me, I agree with initially what you said anyway. Um, but then, as you say, it's kind of undercut by, but maybe think about her plan as a fallback routine. Yeah, um, it's very, like a very strange thing. It seems like, again, like this is where, where Ricard should be having Riker's back. But after the Enterprise would go along just fine without you, it's like, okay, this hmm. is a little bit harsh. Yeah. But again, I think it's it's a tense situation at the at that point anyway. So things are a bit... Yeah. Yeah, That's tempers a are a point. bit frayed, aren't they? But uh, yeah. Um, the next note that I have is just, again, to reinforce what you said, I love the gorgeous shots of the ships, the Enterprise, the Borg Cube, and the Nebula. Um, they could be artwork. They're really good. Um, and that's when we now get the scene that I mentioned earlier between Picard and Guinan. I actually got ahead of myself a bit um, because obviously when the Borg start firing, that's when, you know, the, the poop hits the fan, shall we say, and uh, yeah, the Enterprise, right. uh, Enterprise heads out of the Nebula. And um, I noted... Um, as the Borg beam straight into the Enterprise, because they almost immediately kind of just get through the defences and beam in. As they beam in, the first couple are shot in kind of weird Dutch angles, which leaves you really unsettled, which is a cool decision by the director, because that's exactly what you should be feeling at this point. It's like, whoa, oh crap, yeah. they're are on they the bridge. Prior to that? Or is this the first time in the in This the is series? the first time I remember seeing it, in certainly in this episode, maybe in the series overall, but it's just so, because it is so unnerving, because they're supposed to be, they're going at great speed and they're getting tracked down by the Borg and they've got no defenses left. So it puts you right in that place instead of just being a, 
kind of um, impassive observer, I guess. You're like, this is uncomfortable and weird and oh crap, <laughs> you know, um, which I like. I, I think that's cool and it gives you a lot more effect to the fact that that's they, they immediately just kidnap the card here which is naturally a really shocking moment you know um, yeah you don't expect that to happen you think oh they're going to be you know they're, they're going to be fine for a little bit but no yeah. they get captured um but yeah i have to talk about this next scene because it's iconic and for a reason which is the scene on the borg ship where picard addresses the borg ship matte painting that they've got of all of the things and uh, i do much prefer this voice of the borg to the idea of the queen that we get later on in the different series and stuff because it's to me it's just way more ominous and way more threatening um and i did read that they'd apparently floated the idea of having a, a queen bee borg to discuss things with picard and stuff and rejected the idea for this episode and i think they should really have stuck with that instinct because it does work better they're right it works better as an overall weird voice of of the collective um, yeah it, it's funny because i think i think having the borg Borg Queen in First Contact works really well for that movie, but I think generally yeah. speaking, you're right. The ominous, just the one voice or the many voices talking to Picard, is so it's so well done, and it's unnerving yeah. because you're not talking to any one person, which we're not used to. Absolutely, and it's just great that the lines they say are so emotionless and yet so powerful in what they're actually saying that it makes it scarier i remember the um the video that i was talking about the first video i owned of best of both worlds it was released at the same time as first contact and first contact as you know had the tagline resistance is futile um but they were putting taglines on these sort of video releases of the episodes and the tagline for the best of both worlds was freedom is irrelevant and i was like when you actually stop and think about the weight of that three words that they're just throwing around casually it's like wow <laughs> yeah that's really heavy for sure yeah absolutely and uh yeah not just that though the fact that then the same conversation leads to death is irrelevant and it's death like everything you know everything we hold dear life death individuality freedom and stuff they're just like nope doesn't matter to us we just casually disregard and i was like wow that is that's science fiction power right there really isn't it yeah, but, uh, science yeah. Fiction power, and also just it shows you how awesome picard is the fact that you can you know he's terrified but he is so calm and cool in that in that scene yeah, well, it goes back to my Amazon Easter egg, isn't it? That line, that's that's why I love that she says that in the Easter egg, because his response of, uh, you know, it's been decided you'll speak for us or whatever, and he just says, I have nothing to say to you, and I'll resist you with my last ounce of strength, which is, and then again, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, strength so is irrelevant, good. resistance is futile. Yeah, absolutely. Such a good scene, I love it. And that's when things uh, really, really heat up. But uh, yeah, so then uh, we get the away team deciding to go over to the cube. Um, to try and knock them down to impulse and to maybe try and get back um, Picard. Um, I do like, again, the slight callback that Troy says Riker should stay on the bridge as he's in command, which is what Riker's been doing to Picard since day one of the series, of course. Um, yeah. But it is nice that he at least acknowledges that and lets Shelby lead the away team because I can certainly see in that circumstance he'd want to kind of rescue his his mentor and, you know, do the, the mission. Um, I also remember reading, which I find massively amusing, is... Uh, the reason that Dr. Crusher goes on this away team has nothing to do with the fact that they might need medical assistance to Picard or anything. It's purely because Gates McFadden was arguing for the full season that she wanted to fire a phaser. Oh, <laughs> so at the, at this point they were like, right, go on the away team. You can fire at the Borg. All right. So, fire a phaser, yeah. Whatever <laughs> is, is she's the doctor. Of course she needs to be there. Yeah, no, it makes absolute story sense yeah. that you, you know, you don't know what condition you'll find Picard in, and so. Oh yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like, yeah, of course, in the storyline, but it's funny that it, it that she had to argue. No, no, I just want to fire a phaser. Like, all right, fine, go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. 
because uh, yeah, it, does, it hasn't come up until that point. But she got to, so I feel kind of chuffed for her that she got that opportunity. <laughs> it's cool. Um, as, again, people have mentioned this uh, ad nauseum, but it is. It's a cool idea, even though some people don't like it, that the Borg ignore you till you're a threat or a target. So they're able to just wander around this cube. And it's it's beautifully eerie any time they go to a cube. And these things are just walking around looking terrifying. And they could snap you or assimilate you with a, a thought. And they're just like, no, do, 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 do. And you're just like, any minute, things could change, you know? Um, I think, yeah. I, I don't think that should ever, well, I mean, obviously, everyone has different opinions on it. But I, I think you're right. Like, it makes it more eerie like the fact that they just don't care and it's like they could at any moment start to attack yeah. you but you Absolutely. just won't know yeah and I just you think, can yeah. see them walking around and it's like you gotta like <laughs> yeah that's really unnerving yeah it's it's kind of horror movie-esque it's got a sort of and i guess it's it's referenced in first contact that they are like cybernetic zombies it is kind of zombie-esque of like they're dumb they won't see you coming but if they sort of sniff blood or whatever then they're going to attack you in force and you're screwed. You're not getting out yeah, of there, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's cool that uh, I, I love the atmosphere on the ball cube. Again, uh, referring back to something you said earlier, the the ambience and the music and the way the scene kind of plays uh, in, in terms of tone um, is really nice and tense. Um, and it's a good backdrop to them discussing, you know, the, the Trek type basic analogies of like, maybe we should look at it like a mosquito and if we fire oh, yeah. on a tender spot they'll stop to scratch and stuff and then there's something really cool again and, and kind of gasp worthy about them finding picard's uniform and communicator um even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that they would have stripped him naked before assimilating and the more you think about it the weirder and kind of creepier it gets but, you know. <laughs> yeah because you don't, you don't get that like in later movie or even in later series it's like no they will assimilate you fully clothed so yeah, it's well, like yeah that is eerie I want to mention the like and i never caught this until well i shouldn't say until recently but in the last five years like i never noticed this as a kid but the fact that the phasers like the beams themselves you can see it alternating between the orange and then oh, the blue because of the rotating frequency i never noticed that but that's a really good catch actually yeah cool. which is really cool and i love the fact that they everybody knows what to do and the point where they fire one and then i think i think data looks at uh crusher and she nods and then they fire it mm. together. I love that. But yeah, that's then of course we get the scene of um, where we first see Picard. And again, it's a brilliant touch that we first see him from the undamaged side so that we have no idea what's happening at first because uh, he just looks normal. And then when he turns around, it reveals the kind of Borg plating on the right hand side of his face. Excuse me. Um, so it's like, <gasps> the, the, I think it's Shelby, isn't it? That actually gasps. And I think that's the response that I yeah. gave at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, crumbs. Um, yeah, and then of course, as they as they get back to the Enterprise, and it's like he is a Borg, and ooh, it gets really tense. And <laughs> um, yeah, I like that. And as they mentioned, you know, it's kind of hopeless. The Borg cube's already regenerating. We've got one chance, and then, as I mentioned, the epic cliffhanger that a lot of people have experienced, which was just, yeah, we're going to have to give up on Picard. And just fire the deflect. <laughs> so, yeah, Mister Wolf, fire! Don't I, I don't. love it? I love. So I love the music. I love the camera movement when it pans over to Riker. Mm. It's just, oh, it's so great. But, uh, one uh, one thing I did find interesting again in my research about this episode is that it's such an epic cliffhanger in part because the writer, Michael Piller, had no intentions of finishing the episode himself. He wasn't sure if he was staying on. He was like, ah, the conclusion will be someone else's problem. So he hadn't really come up with a way to solve it. Because he just didn't care, really. And then he yeah, had to kind of come in. And... 
you don't even have a plan. You just say, oh, yeah, we'll figure it out. Someone else will Absolutely, do it. Absolutely, yeah, which is shocking, especially when you look nowadays, you wouldn't really find that happening. But it's also even more shocking to me that part two is shockingly coherent then in that way because it all makes absolute sense to me. Like the point that, um, you know, even the initial cliffhanger, the deflector's been fired, and it's like, well, we've adapted to it because we have Picard's knowledge. I was like, that's genius, and that makes absolute logical sense. Yeah, you perfect. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's a perfect solution to that problem, isn't it? So, yeah. And again, in that scene, how chilling is it when, uh, and I don't even know necessarily why, but when Picard's like, it has prepared us for all courses of attacks. Resistance is hopeless. Number one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, whoa. He still remembers sort of who he is. And it's like, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. There's just enough of him there, you know, that it's like, oh, it really is Picard, isn't it? You know, it's, uh, it's awkward. Uh, I do love, again, character moments that, the silly denial, I guess, of Admiral Hansen when he's instead of responding logically to things and trying to look at things, you know, in a in a pragmatic way, his response to Picard's assimilation is just he would never assist the Borg. Let's make that clear. He's a casualty of war. It's like you kind of have to acknowledge what it's going on here, dude. Otherwise, that's kind yeah, of yeah. I agree. Screwed, don't you? <laughs> I do like the what was it Delulib too? I always forgot how to pronounce it, but like this whole speech about oh, you know, when he won the, the when he won the race. I love yeah, that. the marathon, yeah, 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 the academy. Yeah. Damnedest um, thing I ever saw. I've never met anyone with more drive, determination, or courage than Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love that scene. It's great, but again, it leaves you feeling uh, relatable to the character, but also like you're being so stupid because you, you're refusing to acknowledge that they have Picard's knowledge and you're about to fight them, which is so dumb. <laughs> um but yeah, so that's, yeah. we kind of already think they're on the back foot. We have to mention the scene with um, the developing assimilation of Picard, uh, where, you know, you see him getting the arm piece put on and everything and then change his skin tone, and you just get the single tear rolling down his cheek, which again is so impactful. Again, we have to talk. Uh, uh, sorry to go on about it, but the speech when Riker goes in and just literally asks the chair, what would you do uh, to Picard's chair? And then Guinan coming in, and Guinan immediately going and sitting on the chair, just completely deflating the... Um, sort of holy sacrosanct view that Riker has of it was a brilliant choice from the off. Um, I don't know if that's in the, the script or a character decision that Whoopi Goldberg made, but I was like, yes, but uh, Riker's sitting staring at this chair like, oh, it's Picard's chair. What do I do? And she just literally marches in and just sits straight on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She just doesn't, she's, yeah, she, and her, her message is really strong. And I love the line. It's like, you have to tear up the book that he wrote on the ship. Yeah. And, you know, um, I will let him go, and I've known yeah. him for a long time. Is yeah, that but that's when we get the first hints about, like, how did, did you ever explain why we're so close? We're beyond friendship and family, which we still don't know about, but maybe, you know, Picard season two, you never know. Um, but, yeah, it's it's lovely that she establishes they're that close, but she has to, she will still let him go. And, again, just ending with the the necessary gut punch of, you know, if they'd, if they'd killed him, it would almost have been easier, but they took him from us a piece at a time. And you have to let him go. That is now your chair, Captain. You know, so and uh, again, I love that the episode actually takes a beat to actually have the moment of him sitting in the captain's ready room chair and feeling it as like, okay, I kind of have to do this, you know. I have um, to acknowledge. That. Okay, it is. I've got to. I've got to take command of the ship now. It's my chair. Yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't really carry on without mentioning the uh, the starship graveyard at Wolf Three Five Nine when they get there, um, because it's really famous because of the. 
the sheer number of ships that were made out of kit bashes that have now become like Eagle Moss models and things and uh, orthographic views in certain fact files in Star Trek books, <laughs> which are really, some of them are really, really weird because they're an obvious kit bash when it's like a single nacelle and a saucer on top of it, which I think is the freedom oh, class. That. That. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird, but um, it is weirdly enough, which I never realized until I was reading about it just now. It is the first appearance of a Nebula class ship, which they kit bashed obviously from um, you know the, the roll bar. I think of a Miranda class and then the Galaxy class saucer in the cell. Um, oh, yeah, class that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, almost everyone they mention you can now either look up on the internet or get as a model because I, I, I think I have a model of I have a model of the Chekhov, which is similar to the Kyushu. Then, as you say, she mentions the Melbourne destroyed, and that's when it hits home. And again, I like that the episode takes a moment for to show actual grief, even though they're still in the midst of the battle with the Borg. And it's like, no, this is this is huge. This is you know, thirty nine ships, eleven thousand lives. Yeah, and you can't help but wonder. It's like, well, Riker's thinking like, man, like if I had taken that command, I would have been destroyed. I would have, I would be dead now. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's the extra extra, you know, gut punch again, isn't it? Of like. Oh crap! <laughs> you know that could have been me. You know, there, but for yeah. the grace of God, I guess. But yeah, it's uh, it sucks, but uh, at least this sort of um, I absolutely love the uh, the plan. I'll just quickly get into it now. The um, he knows that Picard knows the source of separation thing, so he's using that as a diversion to get um, Data and Wolf through the Borg's security field to basically get Picard back and then you know, do often see if they can use him to help out in some way, but also to get the captain back. I just love that plan. I think it's it's genius. Again, the, the episode writer should be credited for it, but also Riker as the character is kind of, it's so cool when naturally being a kind of a Borg and not thinking, you know, beyond the obvious, it's like, I know this plan, you're going to separate the saucer, so we should ignore it. And then the saucer starts firing and it's like, what the heck? <laughs> I was not expecting yeah. this. <laughs> it's great you're right because it's really does show like we know that Riker's a good officer up to that point but it's really great to see his his strategy and just see the brilliance of him as a yeah. captain absolutely and even Picard has any brilliantly unorthodox strategy at the end of the episode <laughs> so uh, yeah. I also is... love the line where it's like you will attempt to intervene what is that do not attempt to intervene and then Riker's like uh hmm. take your best shot Lucutus we're about to intervene no, like, yes. it's, it is an action hero kind of uh, yeah. sign-off moment, like, isn't it, really? Janeway has a lot of those good action hero lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then obviously the, the shuttle, as I say, I, I like the fact that it, the shuttle is using the saucer section firing to kind of be a distraction because it cuts its engines and just floats in unnoticed by the Borg. Um, but then on the way back, it obviously gets blown up and O'Brien has to beam them out of there quickly, which he does. Uh and it's very convenient, I'll say, but we'll forgive it because, again, good episode. But it's convenient that they're like, oh, we've got no power. The Enterprise is a sitting duck. The ball cube are just carrying on to Earth and ignoring us. I was like, wow, you're kind of lucky they decided not to just blow you up or something, you know? But, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. It makes logical sense for the Borg characters because it's exactly what Lakuta says, isn't it, later on? This, you know, this attempt at stopping us will do absolutely nothing. We'll continue and we'll assimilate you and I'll still be here yeah, and be the cutest. We're, we're still going to get you. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I do like that the fact, again, the genius idea of, well, the access might go bo both ways. And now that we can access Locutus, we might know the Borg's vulnerabilities. Again, I just wanted to mention a very little subtle moment here, but it's when Locutus is talking to the crew and they kind of balk in reaction to him lifting his Borg arm thing. And he looks kind of taken aback and says, there's no need for apprehension. I mean, you know harm. And then repeats 
no harm in what sounds like Picard's voice, which I didn't yeah. really ever, I didn't ever notice before, but I'm like, that's so cool. If that's deliberately a moment of this is Picard fighting back with like, you will not hurt my friends. Look, he kind of thing. Um, it's, it's yeah, very powerful when you know it and when you see it, but it took me a long time to notice that. Um, yeah, it's really cool. You get a sense that, hey, maybe they're not as evil as you think they are. Like, obviously, they are evil, but they don't do it with an evil intent, necessarily. Yeah, I think it, I sort think of, part of maybe? that, like I said, is Picard fighting through. But then you're right. The Borg themselves are very much like, look, we're, we're not harming you. We want to give you perfection. It's just that they don't realize it's the kind of stuff that, like I said, it strips us of individuality and freedom and all the things that we hold dear, you know? And yeah, they think they're doing you a favor or doing them absolutely. a favor. Yeah, like we're turning you into us. This is great, but no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. I do love that. Again, we get because this is really kind of the first big exploration of the Borg. So we get into the kind of collective consciousness, and you know, if we separate him from the collective, it's just microsurgery to the Borg implants and stuff. But we can't separate the man from the machine, so Data can access the machine, which is a yeah, cool, because... again little plot idea. <laughs> it's cool. Um, what was I going to say here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always found this amusing that when he's he's basically, I love that Locutus just starts crap talking the entire kind of like, you will be assimilated. You are, you are pathetic. And it's like, Data, you're a primitive artificial organism. You'll be obsolete in the new order. I was like, wow, by first contact, they'd really changed their priorities on that one, hadn't they? <laughs> yeah, they're like, he didn't want you in it. Now he's just like, no, no, you're so primitive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, again, the choral music comes back when the Borg enter the section, and I just think it's brilliant. We get the kind of uh, the ticking clock countdown. We've got 27 minutes, but we couldn't accept exactly. for 42. You know, <laughs> it's cool. Um, it just gives you that sense of tension. Um, we, we're back in the science lab for the I think second time in series three, maybe more, um, as we establish the neural link, and they've yep, already started taking. Yeah, because I know that that was where Lal was kept at the end of her life. Right, yeah, that's where Lal was. But I also love the fact that everybody's like, even O'Brien's there, who doesn't usually get a lot of stuff to do, but it's glad that he's there monitoring stuff as well. Yeah, I think I read somewhere there was a reason why somebody that was supposed to be in the scene wasn't available for filming that day, and that's why O'Brien's there. But it's cool. I like it. It gives you the yeah, cool interaction when uh, he's like, what, what, at what point should I cut your connection, sir? I do not know. I've never done this before. <laughs> it's just, It's amusing to me. And the, uh, the cool moment of when the Jupiter station ships attack the Borg as a last line of defense and it just zaps them like flies. Oh, it's, <laughs> <beautiful. laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh crap. Um, yeah, again, I just want to go through. We, we already know what happens here, but they're basically, we, we get Picard fighting through. Uh, we kind of zoom in on the Borg lights and on Data's lights and stuff um, as he's accessing. And that's when Crusher has the thought of, Oh, the interdependency is their Achilles heel. It would be like, and again, beautiful Trek metaphor. It'd be like asking one of us to remove an arm or a foot. We couldn't do it. It's like, which, okay, yeah, I, I, love the, I love the dialogue. I do feel like they they go against that in later episodes, but it, for the, with this episode, it works really well. Yeah, I can see where where you might say that they do, but yeah, it's it's always kind of fluid with the ball because it's like you, you destroy the entire collective and then it turns out you've only destroyed one cube, you know? And even then it's like the queen survived and just goes, ah, stop thinking two-dimensional, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it works. It's fine. For the scene, it, it's it's really cool. I love it. Yeah, it is. And again, um, the shot of the Borg ship just hovering over Earth is so epic. I love it. Um, and again, things just looking really bad. They attack the Enterprise and we literally get like a like, collision course. It's all we can do now at this point. Um you know, and then again, the, the acting here by Brent Spiner and Patrick Stewart as he's like sleep data. It's like, ah, oh, yes, I don't think he's expressing fatigue. I think it's giving me a course of action. 
Um, and, you know, again, such clever writing considering it wasn't planned out of like, we can access a lower priority thing so we can tell them to regenerate and that's the way we'll stop them. Yeah, it's a perfectly logical solution. It makes sense. I think it's a little bit too easy, but I mean, obviously, if you're going to get Picard back, it has to be something like that. So I think it works really well. I love when when um, Data is giving this long explanation about how it's how long it's going to or what he has to do to implant the command, and then Riker's just like, "Make every effort, Mister Data." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, but. Even then, again, they just break it down to the metaphor of like, Data, what did you do? Oh, I accessed this system. It's low priority. I told them to regenerate. I sent them all to sleep, <laughs> basically, which is, uh, yeah, really? it's great. Took it for, for, or I always, sorry, took it for granted in the past as well that they actually have the discussion of like, we don't know what the destruction of the ship could do to Picard, and we should consider the benefits of, you know, examining the Borg and the technology whilst they're disabled, you know. But again, as you said, Riker's very on the nose of just like, no, I don't think so. Disconnect yourself, Data. Away team, get back here, just let them blow up. Uh, but again, it's it's very convenient that blowing up the ball cube somehow separates Picard from the collective, and I'm not entirely sure it works, but what the heck? We have to come up with some way yeah. to get him back. So uh, I hadn't even thought about that. But you're right. Now I'm gonna lose sleep over that tonight. But you're so right. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense in terms of eh, does should, should he really have just been set? I mean, he should have either died with them or you know, still just, he would still just be there, assimilated, because, but then again, as I said, they sometimes decide that the collective is specific to an individual cube, and sometimes it's a massive universal thing, so either way, we'll forgive it, and uh, we got Picard back, and again, almost human with just a bit of a headache, so there you go, mentioning that his uh, his DNA is returning to normal, and we'll be able to get the implants out, which is good, and then, so yeah. I do think the wrap-up of the episode's a little bit quick, and everybody kind of gets to the places they're supposed to be, uh, in the way that we said, like it's got to end how things are. So Shelby just conveniently goes back to the Borg task force and Riker stays on the Enterprise. But at least they do actually take the time to show how haunted Picard is and to show the kind of the brilliant shot of him like stopping drinking his tea and staring at his own yeah, like, like, injured, damaged reflection. Absolutely. And like I said, it's, it's worth mentioning if you are watching this for the first time, definitely watch the next episode immediately afterwards as well because... It doesn't stop with just this moment of Picard staring out the window and then he's fine the next week. It really deals with the effect of this. Yeah, so. it it. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to quickly move on to the next uh, bit of the review then, which is to ask you for your favorite character in the episode. Um, who would you say is, is the MVP of the of this two-parter? Ooh, that's... For me, it's got to either be... It's got to be either Shelby or Riker... Because this is such like even though this is a Picard episode, I would argue that this is more of a Riker story. Oh, I, I would say it's a Riker episode, and the the writers and things have been interviewed and said people often say it's a Picard story, but it's not. It's a Riker story. It's oh, okay. But I think Riker. It, yeah, I would say for main cast, definitely Riker. I want to say he's the MVP. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'll be boring then because I have the same thing written down. Riker was my favorite character of the two parter because of the way he kind of steps up to the plate and he. Again, he, he shows maturity in being able to work with Shelby. He actually has the moments of great character depth in his conversations with Troy and Guinan, and he ultimately kind of saves the day. What's your favorite moment of the episode then overall? Ooh, okay, this is another hard one. Um, oh, so if we're looking at the two-parter, I, I'm just going to be easy and say the, the to-be-continued, like the Mr. Warfire. Mm. That, that has got to be perfection for me. That's fair enough. 
Sorry, if I might have, I might have said the same thing, but the version that I watched was edited together, so I didn't have the cliffhanger. I just went to the next scene yeah. straight away. Oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah. But uh, so yeah, my my moment was the actual saucer separation plan and the the cleverness of getting around that and getting the uh, strike team on to get Picard back. Um, but yeah, the cliffhanger is kind of hard to ignore, isn't it? Really <laughs> awesome. Um, and what is your favorite line of the episode then? I think I got it. We we talked about it, but the. Uh... The uh, Riker and Shelby line, I think, is probably for me uh, yeah, the best line. You back. So hard you'll think you're a first year cadet again. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, awesome. exactly. Um, That's it. My line of the episode was literally just um, the yeah, from the end of part one. If you're watching the two parts, which is the when Locutus first heals them and just says, "I am Locutus of Borg. Your life as it has been is over." I just think that's iconic and gives you goosebumps. So that's my choice for line of the episode oh, right there. Iconic. Um, awesome, awesome. So, so the very uh, the very next section is just something that I want to briefly touch on because I do it in all of my things, which is a section that I call Gene's Vision, uh, which is my way of basically giving a middle finger to all those people that are like, oh, Star Trek strays too much from Gene's Vision, because I think it's always got something if you want to you know, look for it in there. Um, and so I would ask to you if there's any moments I think that or you, you think that stand out as kind of representing that bold kind of vision heart of Star Trek in this uh, two-parter. Like the the Borg vision, or no, no, the idea that kind of like the the Gene Roddenberry vision of you, your humanity, and uh, you know, like for example, um, one of the things I've written down, I think, the idea of you know our culture is built on freedom and self determination. That's a very Trek idea that's central to the core and why the Borg are threatening, um, and just moments like that where they kind of the ideals, I guess, and the ideology of Star Trek comes through. I wondered if there was anything you thought that you could uh, you could shout out in these episodes. Yeah, I would say the 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 line you just mentioned, the freedom and determination or self determination, I think, um, is the best example mm. of that. Just trying to think if there's anything else I could think of. Um, I could mention a few, and then you can see if you agree, if you want, because I have a, sure. literally yeah, three I mean, more written down. I like again, I like the idea of um, we're, we're in the nebula because if they're aiming for us, they can't hurt anyone else. That that's right. Me is yeah. very very trekking the selflessness. Um, the constant urge not to give up on Picard, I think you could look on as foolish, but I also think it's very uh, humanist in that regard of like, yeah, you don't give up on your friends and you, you never believe till the last moment. It's hopeless. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, the final thing is just ingenuity, basically, that they were able to eventually work around these things and come up with the plan and save Picard. Um, again, that's very Trek that we, you know, the solution's out there. Just don't give up and, and you can do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Very true. Awesome. Um, so I will I'll do a brief um audience interaction section once we finish our thoughts, but I wanted to go on to the conclusion and score first. Uh, and so I'll start with you since you're the guest and ask for your do you have a kind of paragraph of <laughs> okay? So I'd say conclusion. This is like a must-watch. This is top-tier Star Trek. I think my biggest complaint is part two. I like part two a lot, but I think part one is so strong. And I think that's a theme you see a lot in other Trek where the first part of an episode is usually really strong, but then the second part isn't quite as good. But this one still up there. Uh, I would say maybe 4.5 out of five deltas. Okay, me. cool. Cool. Uh, that's awesome. My conclusion, I'm, apologies, I'm just reading it off what I've written because I find it easier. So uh, I just said, a truly iconic piece of Star Trek, no, of science fiction, uh, extremely famous with good reason. 
brilliant plotting and dialogue, sometimes against the odds, a truly compelling and horrifying central idea, top-notch performances, meaningful moments, action-packed, thrilling, but still a meditation on maturing, identity, personality, and the nature of humanity. I must say, I could nitpick some pieces, but the overall whole remains too good to really knock. Uh, I think it's a real contender for the best of both worlds, meaning action and drama that Trek can deliver. Um, and I actually went with five Starfleet Deltas out of five. So, oh, wow. Yeah, that's good. I wouldn't argue with that, though. I think five out of also, five also makes a lot of sense for, for this. And I wouldn't argue that there are things that you could criticize in the same view, vein, but it's just, I think, the, my personal connection, I think, just puts me over the edge of that extra bit. So that's cool. So it means the overall score for the podcast, obviously, when we average it, would be... 4.75 out of 5 for the best of Jeez, both worlds. 47, sort of. Out of <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah, um, that's a pretty high score for the best of both worlds as a, an overall two-parter or feature-length thing. So um, thanks for indulging me on this. If you just bear with me uh, for one second here, Chris, I'm just grabbing the... Um, the audience interaction for the audience interaction section. Again, I always put out a Incoming tweet transmission. What are your thoughts on these episodes before we review them? Uh, and I got a lot of response to this one on Twitter because it's quite a famous episode, but I'll try and go through it as quick as possible because we're already at a, a bumper length episode. So um, Johnny at Disnerd Trekkie, uh, who's been on the show before, says this episode holds up. In 2016, I went to the Fathom Events theatrical showing and it was amazing. Um, it's probably similar to the one you went to, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah it was three years ago, but it, yeah, amazing event. Awesome. Um, Theo.Woodpecker says, one of the best episodes, one to two of Star Trek TNG. To see Picard as a Borg was a shock in the 90s. Never seen before. No one knew if he would ever come back as a human captain. Suspense, horror, thrills in 90 minutes. All-time favorite. Cat uh, at T and Tachyons says, thrilling, iconic, unnecessary to truly understand the captain and why slash how he struggles internally. We see this tie-in with Picard when talking to Seven and he talks about still trying to regain his humanity. I wish they showed more of this on screen, though. Fair enough. Um, the Jacked Up Review Show says, Required viewing, technically a great movie as well, if you go with the compiled Blu-ray edition, which obviously I did. Yeah. Uh, Bryce at Bryce5189 says, It truly is the greatest episode ever of Star Trek. I think it's even considered the episode that saved the franchise. Okay, I'm not too familiar with that uh, backstory or whatnot, but I can believe it. Uh, I think that's true to some degree. I remember reading that or hearing that. Yeah, I know it was definitely the first cliffhanger, and it was the first two-parter since the Menagerie in TOS, so it, it's a lot of kind of firsts and big moments that became a staple, I guess, of Trek, so yeah. Um, at Dr. Tok just says, I remember that cliffhanger <laughs> like it was yesterday, utterly chilling, brilliant stuff. Um, at Eddie from NYC says, great two-parter, one of the best cliffhangers in TV history. That was a long summer. At the time, there were rumors Patrick Stewart might leave the show, so Picard's fate really felt uncertain. Very exciting time to be a Trek fan. Uh, at E. Rosson 1982 just says, heart-wrenching, the destruction of the entire fleet. Um, yeah, something that we kind of gloss over, but yeah, that whole Wolf 359 thing is pretty brutal, as uh, Deep Space Nine would eventually show yeah, us. Yeah, that for sure. Uh, yeah. At, at Unoriginal Franz, Leo Mooney says, I'd argue this is one of the first truly dark Trek storylines made for so much good follow-up, though, through Next Gen into Deep Space Nine and Picard, as we were just saying. So, yeah. Um, at HG Chuck simply gave a couple of scores, and he just says part one, 10 out of 10, part two, 8 out of 10. Okay. Um, Chris at Shelf Nerds, a friend of the show and of uh, myself on Twitter, said, I'll have more complete thoughts when I give it the Treks for All Time treatment, which is a series he does of like reviewing episodes. I definitely recommend. Um, but he says, right now I'd rank it a 10 out of 10, a rich character piece for Riker and exciting, tense adventure. 
So yeah. Um, at Where's Beverly <laughs> has quite a lot of thoughts and just says, I'd say a good eight out of 10 cups of Earl Grey from me. It's absolutely terrifying. The whole exploration of what it means to lose your entire identity and become someone else still gives me nightmares and existential crisis. Riker showing his capabilities as a leader was incredible. And I love the team beaming over to the cube and the scene where they're ignored unless a direct threat. So good. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Dr. Oho, uh, again, friend of uh, my various podcasts, says, it's my fave TNG by a long shot. Amazing cliffhanger to part one. And at the end of part two, we see Picard's hand trembling as he takes his Earl Grey, reminding us that TNG is not afraid to show that our heroes can be affected by the trauma of these weekly adventures. Awesome. Uh, at Daniel Jakubowicz says, I didn't see it when it first came out, only saw it many years later. When I did see it, I thought it was good. Wish they had more Battle of Wolf 359 and Shelby. Now, per Red Letter Media and other places, I've reframed it as an amazing Riker episode, possibly the best, and the end of his arc. Okay, I don't necessarily think it was the end, but I see what you're saying about it being a Riker-focused, so yeah. Um, at Peter Trek 1 says, Best of Both Worlds Part 1 is my number one favourite next-gen episode and my number two favourite Trek overall. I enjoyed the Riker-Shelby storyline and the threat of the Borg. That cliffhanger led to a long three months. Part 2 was good, but I wish the climax would have taken place in space. Okay. Uh, at Ramon Urquiza says, It's 10 out of 10 episode, well-written and acted by the crew. Uh, at Scott Hussey just says, um, I can still remember being so freaked out by that cliffhanger, but I was also extremely disappointed when it turns out it just didn't work. I've always felt like they could have done something more with that part, but other than that, an A-plus set of episodes. I mean, it works in-universe. I guess after a summer of waiting, I just built it up in my head that something super exciting was going to happen. It's a testament to the episodes that 30 years later, we're still talking about it. Um, John Glasgow says, 10 out of 10, superb two-parter and peak TNG. And finally, uh, Night Star Fury says, the two-part cliffhanger was such a powerful episode, especially since it pushed Picard and his crew to their absolute limits and really showed that the Federation no match for the Borg in terms of firepower. So, yeah, a lot of thoughts on this episode, as you would imagine, because it's very popular and famous, and that's obviously why we've got a bit of a longer episode going on here. But uh, apologies for keeping you for so long, Chris, but thank you so much for joining This is the best way to spend a night. Awesome. Yeah, same, same. So that's great. Um, we'll have to have you on again maybe sometime and uh, discuss some more things, Trek, and uh, you know how to reach me always in the meantime. But uh, did you want to sure. shout out any of your kind of socials and your other podcasts and things? Uh, yeah, so the thing I do is I do yelling about Star Trek. You can just find it on all platforms, just yelling about Star Trek. And you can follow me on Twitter at uh, yelling about Trek. Awesome, awesome. Uh, and as always, I am uh, just at Ian Mike Wilson for my personal Twitter, just my name, Michael Wilson, everywhere else. And the podcast Twitter, uh, which may be on your screen at the moment, is just at HOM Trek or at HOM Trek. Think Mr. HOM from Star Trek, maybe. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for joining me. This was really, really fun, Chris. Sorry if I uh, talked a bit too much, but I could talk oh, for hours about this is, this is a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. It was really good to have you on. And again, thoroughly recommend uh, yelling about Star Trek and uh, discussing things with Twitter and stuff because we've had some good uh, conversations. And yeah, awesome. And again, we've obviously liked the episode. We came to a good conclusion, 4.75 out of 5. Not too shabby. So awesome. Awesome. Right. Well, uh, join us again for our next episode, which um, when this goes out, the next episode in a week's time will be a review of the Deep Space Nine episode. It's only a paper moon. Uh, we're veering ah, away from the Borg. <laughs> uh, we're doing some other artificial intelligence. It's a it's a big episode and it's uh, it's going to be powerful. There's a lot of thoughts, I think, going into that one. So do stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, uh, again, thanks so much for joining me, Chris. Uh, and remember, everyone, we are Starfleet. Live long.
Live long and prosper. Will be assimilated. <laughs>